0: Well, this morning in our first service, we had our mini melodies, our fours and fives, and we had our praise patrol. And these are the kiddos that started as those three and five year olds many uh, years ago. Didn't they do a great job leading us in worship this morning? Man. Good job, guys! Y'all are excellent. Now go. I'm gonna preach, okay? Y'all, 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 y'all got to get out of here. I be looking at y'all instead of listening. Amen. Uh, as you can see, we've kind of decorated. Uh, we knew it's been. Uh you know, the weather's been so bad and, uh, and rainy, and so we thought, well, we'll take you to a beach this morning, and that way you can kind of hang out. But no, this was our uh, kids' musical this morning. They did a great job. Uh, and you weathered the weather to be here today, so I thank you for coming and for uh, being a part of that. Um, you know, uh, the one thing that I struggle with the most in my preaching is holidays, Um. Seems like when people come on a holiday weekend to a sermon, they kind of come predisposed to they know what I'm going to say. So it's kind of like when uh, they come at Christmas, it's kind of like, and I start reading the text, you know, and shepherds kept watch over their sheep by night. They're like, yeah, 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 get that over with. We've heard that. Or or even on Mother's Day, you know, people show up and it's like, hey, Pastor, look, we got reservations for our family here in a few minutes. And uh, we, there's not much you're going to be able to tell us about a Proverbs 31 woman that we haven't learned all about. So kind of chop, chop, let's get this over with and get it rolling. Uh, we got a lot of things to get done. And so I really... Uh, Normally, I don't even talk about whatever the holiday is. We're in a sermon series. I stay with that sermon series. I don't get off of that. Uh, But last week, we finished up our journey through the book, or excuse me, through the country of Egypt, Uh, We had our kids musical today. Uh, Next week is our graduating seniors, and we're going to be celebrating them. Zachariah, our student minister, is going to be preaching in both services. And so it didn't make sense this morning for me to start our journey through Israel together. So we're we're going to wait and do that until the 28th. So uh, this morning, I'm going to deliver... kind of a Mother's Day message, okay? That's kind of what I'm going to be doing. But if you're not a mother here, or you're, you're, a, you're a guy, or you're a student, or you're a college student, uh, this morning I want to talk about uh, a faith of mothers and others. And I believe in everything that we're going to talk about this morning, you're going to find something that's going to be a blessing to you. But if you're worried about your reservations... Um, It's raining outside and you're just going to get wet anyway. So let's just stay all afternoon together. All right. (laughs) And, And everybody for that. Yeah. So if I get done on time, you'll be happy. See how that works? Uh, take your Bibles. Let's turn to the book of 1st, uh, excuse me, 2nd Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 3. It'll be our focal text this morning. A few years back, the Barna Research Group, uh, they re- released the results of a survey. And the survey was about who has the greatest impact in the home when it comes to spirituality. I want you to think about that. Think about your home right now who in your home right now has the greatest impact? Who's the one that is setting the direction spiritually for your family? This is the introduction to that report. It said mothers inhabit many roles inside and outside the family. Within the household, they are often counted on to be the emotional compass, organizer, and multitasking manager of the family. So it's kind of how that survey opened, caught my attention. And as the survey went along, Uh, It said that um, 75% of mothers that were surveyed uh, said that family was a very integral part of their world, of their life. Um, But secondly, it was that their faith played a huge part in their life. Now, when it came to dads, it said that dads too, they felt like family was an integral part of their life. But when it came to their faith... um, The faith component of their life wasn't as important to them as it was to uh, their wife uh, in their daily life. So it's not surprising then. By understanding that, guess what the survey concluded? In most homes in America today, it is the wife and the mom that has the greatest spiritual influence inside the home. This is a conclusion written by David Kinneman, which is the president of the Barna Group. He was also the director of the survey. He said, whether they are pre, uh, uh, excuse me, whether they are a parent or not, women in America have high levels of spiritual sensitivity and engagement. Men generally lag behind the spirituality of women, particularly so if they're not a father. In other words, having children intensifies the spiritual commitment of men. But even so, most fathers still do not measure up to the spiritual footprint of their parenting counterpart. This is something we recognized at Oak Ridge Baptist Church not too long ago. Uh, probably at about the, uh, I've been here 17, almost 18 years. Probably at about the seven year mark. We realized our men weren't the spiritual leaders of our home. And so we began a process of beginning with our young men, then into our our young married men, and into our fathers and our grandfathers, uh, of, of equipping them, of giving them the tools. Oftentimes as men, when we're in a situation where our wives know more, Um, we ought to learn they always know more. But when we find that they know more, we kind of want to kind of hold back and act like we know it all, but just kind of not say anything. Um, And so we realized our men weren't confident in leading their home. And so uh, we began this journey of working with them and helping them grow in that. And so these statistics uh, that we find present here in this Barna research, in the survey uh, for the men in our church who choose to embrace the processes that we've put in place across the board, they don't meet this criteria. Now, again, it's only the men that choose to embrace what we're doing. Uh, but those that embrace that, they don't fit this criteria. They've, they've become the spiritual leaders. They're moving into that in their life. And so I would say to any man that's here today, wherever that, wherever that you are on the journey, if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, Uh, Whether you've entered into that relationship, but you've not grown in that, so you don't have the skills to be the spiritual leader, Um, that's what we exist for. Our our men's ministry, our discipling ministry, our mentoring ministry at Oak Ridge Baptist Church, it's to join with you to change that narrative in your life, to giving you the tools and the means by which you can be the spiritual leader. In your home. All right, there was my infomercial on changing that that we found in that research. And it's very important, and we are committed to that here at Oak Ridge Baptist Church. But when it comes to moms, I love what Billy Graham once said. He said, Only God Himself fully appreciates the influence of a Christian mother on her children. And there's this perfect example of this quote in our text this morning in Second Timothy chapter 1. If you're visiting with us today, I don't put our focal passages up on the screen. Uh, I want you in your Bible. I want you to see what I'm saying from the Bible. If what I'm saying is not from the Bible, then I'm no better than any person that's up here pontificating an opinion. But when I say things that come out of Scripture, then you and I have to pay attention to it. Because either God is right or God is wrong. And so Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of our, of our generation, he says, only God himself fully appreciates the influence of a Christian mother on her children. And we see this biblical example of that in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So let's begin reading in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you. As well. Now, a little bit of background for this text is very, very important. Second Timothy is a continuation of First Timothy. These are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote um, to Timothy, um, and he was giving him some pastoral guidance. Timothy was someone that was pastoring churches that Paul started on different uh, missionary journeys, and so he's giving him uh, these pastoral practical instructions. and, And we're very clear who these letters are addressed to. Because 1 Timothy uh, is addressed to Timothy, my true child in the faith. 2 Timothy is addressed to Timothy, my beloved son. These two salutations that we find here are an indication that uh, Timothy's dad would have fit into Barna's research. Timothy's dad wasn't being the spiritual leader in his home. Either he didn't have a relationship, he wasn't saved or he had just never stepped up to that role of being the spiritual leader. I saw that play out in my life. My dad was the spiritual leader of our home but my best best friend's dad wasn't saved. As a matter of fact, he was an alcoholic. And so my dad would take Byron and he would invest in him and he would speak into his life. He would share Christ with him. My dad became my best friend's spiritual father. And dads, listen to me. You don't want somebody else to be in that role in your family. Amen. I'm just telling you, you're missing out on joy to let somebody else be the spiritual, fam, spiritual leader, spiritual investor into your child's Life. But thank God for those that are willing to do that. My dad was willing to do that for Byron, and obviously Paul was willing to do that for Timothy as well. And in this relationship that they developed, uh, Paul gained this great uh, appreciation and this great uh, love for Timothy. And so Paul writes uh, to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, and he says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may encourage. Uh, so that I may b- also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And then he says this. He says, for I have no one else of kindred spirit. He said, man, Timothy is my twin in the faith. Timothy is someone I have invested to. There is no one else that I could send to you that would be more genuinely concerned about your needs, about, your, about what's going on in your world. I, I would, but there's no one else shy of Timothy that would love you as much as I did. Why? Why? Why did Paul have such strong feelings about Timothy? And we find the answer here in our text in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Look what your scripture says. He says, Timothy, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. one of the things I like to do is when I'm trying to understand what the Bible has to say, I've had the privilege to be able to understand that the New Testament text was written both in Greek and in Aramaic. And so if we can... We, we can get to the word that was in the original manuscripts. Then we can check to make sure the word that's being used in the English manuscripts is a good translation. So this word sincere that we find here, anupokritos, is the Greek word. It's kind of this long word. So I wanted to know where is this word used in other passages of scripture so I can understand what Paul means when he says a sincere faith. And so in, second, uh, excuse me, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, uh, Paul's writing about love. And he says, let love be anupokritos. Love is without hypocrisy. So that word in that verse is used as without hypocrisy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says in purity in knowledge and in, in patience in kindness in the Holy Spirit in anupokritos genuine. That's how that word, that word is translated as genuine in that verse. First uh, Peter two two, like newborn babies long for the anupokritos, pure milk of the word. So when I look at this word and I compare it to how it's used in other passages, I understand when Paul uses this word in this passage of scripture, he says that sincere faith is faith without hypocrisy. It's genuine faith. It's Pure faith. It is sincere faith. And for a person to possess that kind of faith, it doesn't just magically happen. It doesn't just appear one day and you have it. It's the result of a choice. And now we're back to that word that we've been on for the last several weeks. What choice do you make when it comes to sincere faith? Faith without hypocrisy, faith that is genuine, faith that is pure, faith that is sincere. Where did Timothy learn? Where, where did Timothy grasp hold of? Where, where did Timothy become exposed to sincere faith? The kind of faith that made him want to choose to have that present in his life. Well, keep reading here in Second Timothy 1.5. He says, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt, what first dwelt? The sincere faith. It first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and it also dwelt in your mother, Eunice. And now I am certain of the fact that it dwells in you as well. Noah just talked about, it. I'm a third generation ORBCer. Well, Paul is saying, Timothy, you're a third generation sincere faith That's what he's saying in this passage. I don't know if that's good English or not, but that's what he's saying in this passage of Scripture. Because I know know you guys have lunch reservations. I I know you're waiting to get there. So I'm going to quickly try to unpack what is being said here so that we can have a faith of mothers and others. But I need you to dial in with me. The more you dial in with me, the faster I will preach and we'll get out here as quickly as possible. If you don't, I'll be here all afternoon. So your choice, whichever one you want to make. All right. All right. Let's look at two characteristics of sincere faith. Why? Because isn't that what we want present in all of our life? Isn't that what we want to say our home is made up of? Faith without hypocrisy, faith that's pure, faith that's sincere, faith that is consistent, whether I'm at church, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at Orwall, whether I'm out with my buddies. That's what the world wants today. So we're tired of hypocrisy. We just want people to be who they say that they be. Well, why don't we be that? Well, how can we have that? Well, there's two characteristics of this that we see here. First of all, the first characteristic is sincere faith is Personal faith. It's personal faith. Look at verse 5. Paul says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. It's personal. It's not something someone else can do for you. It's not something that, that, that someone can manifest for you. It is your sincere faith. But what exactly is Paul talking about? When he's talking about sincere faith, what, what exactly does he mean? Well, first of all, he's talking about scriptural faith. Faith. That's where it all begins. It begins with the scriptures here in Second Timothy 1 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt. How is it dwelling? How is this sincere faith? Well, it begins with that personal relationship, but it doesn't magically appear. It has to grow. It has to mature inside of someone. It matured inside of Lois and it matured inside of Eunice. So it's obvious from this that they paid attention to the scriptures. And I want you to listen very carefully to me. It's not rocket science what I'm sharing this morning. It's just just common sense. (laughs) Lois and Eunice could not have taught Timothy the scriptures if they didn't know the scriptures. It's not hard. You can't teach someone something that you don't know. So it's obvious that this mother and this grandmother, they embraced the scriptures, so they knew how to have sincere faith. And that's the key to living a life of sincere faith. We have to have the compass. We have to have the truth. We have to have the GPS system that helps us know how to navigate when there's all these things telling us what sincere faith is. There is something that we can trust and that is scripture. Paul writes in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. That's the reason why we put so much emphasis on the Bible and Bible teaching here at Oak Ridge Baptist Church. That's why when you come on Sunday morning and I have the privilege to stand before you and you're giving your time, I want to give you something, but I don't care what I have to say. What I say and what you say doesn't matter. I'm just telling you, we're so full of ourselves. It doesn't matter. You want to know how to do things? Do it God's way. And where you learn about God's way, it's from the Bible. And so I put an emphasis on that. Bring your Bible, don't accept what I'm saying. Check me out. Check the word out. Make sure we're following that because we want to have sincere faith. That's why we put such an emphasis that 90% of our Sunday morning worshipers will go to a small group Bible study on Sunday morning. This year, we're averaging 94% of our Sunday morning worshipers going to a small group on Sunday morning. Why? Because it's in our DNA. We want to be in the word. That's why we challenge you to memorize the focal passage. Folks, listen to me. Get rid of the excuses. Stop. Well, I just can't memorize that. Those words are too hard. The words are repetitive and I, I just, yes, you can stop. Memorize the passage of scripture, put the work in. That's what you want from your kids. You want them to put the work in when they go to school and get the grade? Well, you put the work in and memorize the scripture. It's a personal decision that you make. And the scriptures play an integral part Of that, And so right here, Paul's talking about when he says sincere faith, he's talking about scriptural faith. He's also talking about saving faith. I'm going to add to what I just said. You can't teach to your children what's in the Bible if you don't know what's in the Bible. And you can't teach to your children about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have sincere faith, how in the world are they going to have sincere faith? There's no way in the world that you can pass a three-generation legacy of sincere faith onto your children and grandchildren if you don't know the Bible and you don't live by what the Bible has to say. That's why Timothy says, "I'm, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you. It's there. But you know what? It first dwelt in your grandmother." And then it dwelt in your mother, and now it dwells in you. He says, Timothy, you ought to get down on your knees. You guys ought to get down on your knees and thank God that you have a mama and daddy that has brought you to church and taught you the Word of God and challenged you to memorize it ever since you were born, ever since you were in the womb. Because you're far better off in this world in which we live by knowing God's word than if you didn't. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, thank the Lord that you have a mother and a grandmother that stepped up in the absence of your daddy not doing it. And was willing to do these things for you. I don't know how, I don't know how grandmother Lois came into relationship. I would like to think maybe it was on the day of Pentecost. Maybe she was there in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit comes down and Peter preaches. Man, she gets saved and she rushes home and she tells her daughter about it. And and her daughter Eunice gets saved. And then, man, we got to tell this to Timothy. And so they begin to share with Timothy. And they begin to talk to him about what Jesus had done in their life. And then at some point in this process, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, That a guy by the name of Paul comes to Lystra, their hometown, and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of Paul proclaiming the truth, Timothy comes into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, did you just hear that? Grandmama came into a relationship. Mama came into relationship. They begin to share with their child. Then there's this guy that comes along and he's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And then the kid comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's generally the way that people are saved in our world today. Very rarely does a person come to Christ the first time that they come to church. Very rarely do they get saved the first time that someone talks to them about Jesus at school or at work. God works in links in a chain. You bring your child to church and they hear a lesson about the Bible from a a Sunday school teacher. And then Miss Dana shares with them in kids worship about Jesus. And then they move into the fifth and sixth grade and they start coming into the worship center. And they begin to hear Pastor Galen talk to them and preach messages about Jesus Christ. There's a spouse that's in somebody's life. There is a friend that's in somebody's life. There's a coworker that's not afraid to live for Jesus in the place that they live. And all of these links began to connect together. And God uses these links in the way that he chooses to do that because all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And the hardships that we go through and we live for and we we stay true to in the workplace, that person that's not saved is watching that Go on in our life. And when they see that we handle things different, it's a link in the chain. And finally, God uses those to awaken their heart to a personal relationship with Him. In essence, that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 3 when he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. But unfortunately, in our society today, a lot of parents are not being the link. In their child's spiritual chain that God calls them to be. But that wasn't the case for Timothy. He had, this, he had this mother and this grandmother who had a personal experience with Jesus. Who were grounded in scriptures. And they were willing to do whatever was necessary to expose their child to the good news of Jesus Christ. To impact your home spiritually the way that Lewis and, uh, uh, Lois and Eunice did then your faith has to be personal as well. It has to be personal, which, which makes us deal with the question, have I ever personally asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior? I didn't ask you if you ever joined a church. I didn't ask you if you ever participated in some event where water was put on you or over you or in you or whatever. I'm talking about, have you ever come to that place where you've recognized you are a sinner? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there's none righteous, no, not one. And that the wages of sin is death. And I'm going to be eternally separated from God. But because of the links of a friend and a pastor that preaches and a Sunday school teacher and a spouse, I've realized not only are the wages of sin death, but there's this free gift. That's through Jesus Christ and the price that he paid on the cross for me. And if I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then I can be saved. Has that ever happened in your life? That's the only way that you can establish a personal faith that turns into sincere faith that turns into the kind of faith that impacts your family. So that's the first characteristic. The second characteristic is sincere faith is expressed faith. It's personal faith, but it's also expressed faith. Now turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to see what the scripture says about expressed faith there. You see, it's not enough to possess faith if we don't pass that faith along. I've recently shared in a sermon, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but it just has such an impact um, it's such a tragedy when I stand here or I'm at a funeral home and I'm, I'm standing at a, at a podium in a funeral chapel and I'm standing in front of a casket of, a, of, a, of an elderly person that's passed away. And this elderly person's parents had a sincere faith. They had a faith that they expressed and their child came into relationship with Jesus Christ. But as they got up older and as they got to doing life on their own, somebody hurt them. Somebody said something they shouldn't do at church. Somebody said they weren't dressed the right way when they came to something. And they said, fully on church, I'm done with church, never to have anything to do with it. It wasn't right for that person to do that. But... Folks, if I didn't come and preach every time that somebody told me that I preached a bad message or that my shirt was the wrong color, I had a lady one time, I walked in and I shook her hand and she said, Who cut your hair today? Am I just going to walk out and not come back to church because of that? No. But that person had. Satan used that to push them out of the way and they stopped living for God. They're in heaven. And now I'm standing here preaching to their children and their grandchildren and sometimes their great-grandchildren. And they have no idea what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this person will not be reunited with their loved ones in heaven when they all die. Because they weren't willing to express their faith in their home. The sincere faith that was passed on to them by their parents. And so Paul didn't want that to be Timothy's story. He didn't want that to be his testimony. He didn't want him to fall victim to making that kind of choice. So look what he says in 2 Timothy 3.14. He says, Timothy, you, however, continue, continue, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you. You have learned them. How do we do that? How, how, how do we express? How do we pass along sincere faith so that when our eulogy is being read, and it's going to happen, y'all, y'all realize that, right? Hebrews 9, 27 says, it's appointed unto man wants to die. We don't want to die. We go to every doctor we can to keep from dying. We'll spend as much money as we have to to stop the process. But guess what? At the end, we die. I'm not saying we should want it faster than it's supposed to come. But it's appointed unto man wants to die. And after this is the judgment. And you're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And there's a point that somebody's going to be reading your eulogy. I read my mom's when she was 78. I read my dad's when he was 94. Somebody read Methuselah's when he was 969. But guess what? They all died. When somebody's reading your faith, when they're thinking about what those things are going on, will they be saying that you continued in the things that you learned when it came into a relationship with Christ. In other words, are they going to see you again because you continued showing those things to your children? Well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we press on? How do we, how do we make sure that our family has... We, we can't make a choice for our kids, I, and that's another part of it. We can't make the choice, but we can set them up the best we can for them to have a good chance at it. So what should be in my life, in my family's life, in my home, so that my family and my children can have a sincere face. Well, first of all, it starts with spiritual education in the home. That's where it begins. You know, we talked about, you know, a few weeks ago on our journey in Egypt that the children of Israel, they leave out of, uh, they cross the Red Sea and they go down, you know, what was called the Red Sea on the, on the eastern side. It was really the Gulf of Suez and they go all the way down. Uh, kind of in the fork of the Gulf of Suez and the G- Gulf of Aqaba. And it's there that they come to the Sinai Peninsula. And God gives them the law and the truth. And, and they messed up a lot. I mean, they didn't, they didn't get it. They didn't pay attention. They didn't do things. But there is one thing that they got. There is one thing that even in Jerusalem today that they still embrace. Uh, especially maybe not all of them. But in the Orthodox community, they embrace the importance of what God said when it came to spiritual education in the home. God tells them in Deuteronomy chapter six, this this word that he gives them from Mount Sinai. He said, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. And these words, which I'm commanding you today, they shall be in your heart. And then he says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and that's an all-inclusive term for sons and daughters, and shall talk of them, what? The commandments that I'm giving you. Talk of them when? When you sit in your house. When you walk by the way. When you lie down. When You hear that? When you sit in your house. When you walk by the way. When you rise up. It's not just for the pastor to do on Sunday morning. I'm just part of a link. It's not just for the Sunday school teacher. That's just part of the link. You need to be doing that in your home because sincere faith, it's predicated on spiritual education in the home. You know, a few moments ago, I, I referenced this idea of this links, that, that, that you know, spiritual link. Um, and how parents today, uh, many are not embracing their role in that in the life of their children. And, and this is what it sounds like when they, when they intentionally say, I'm not going to do that. It sounds like that it says, I don't want to influence my kid. They need to wait till they're grown and they need to wait till they can understand things. And then they need to make a decision on their own about what they're going to do about this religion stuff. And can I just tell you today that that is so inconsistent with the rest of parenting? When when a person makes that statement, and I'm not trying to say, I'm not going to say you because I don't know if you're doing that. But I got a feeling there's some people in here this morning that have that mindset. Well, I'm just not gonna influence my child. I'm gonna gonna let them make the decision. Can I just say that is so inconsistent with your parenting approach? I'll give you a couple examples. We decide it's gonna be healthy for our child, our four-year-old to be in t-ball. So we go to the store ourselves and we buy them a bat and we buy them a glove and we buy them a ball and we take them outside and we force them to train out in the front yard for hours on time to be ready for the big t ball game that's gonna be happening in a few weeks. As a matter of fact, we drill them. We teach them how to throw, we teach them how to hit, we teach them, when you see that batter draw back that bat, buddy, you better break down into that point and you'd be ready to go in any direction to do whatever. And then we go to the big game. And we put our son or our daughter and they're the right fielder. And man, that batter takes that bat back and we look out there and they're not broke down in no position. They are picking flowers out of the ground out there. And the minute we see that, this is what we do. That's okay, blue. You're doing good out there. You be you, just pick some more flowers, honey. No. Hey, get up! This is baseball! But I don't want to influence my kid in anything they don't want to do. You know what I'm saying? What about bath time? Oh, I wouldn't want to make my kid take a bath. You parents that have teenage boys, not only do you influence your kids to take a bath, you demand it because they stink. Amen. There is no, there's no any way whatsoever that is going to happen in our life. Oh, and don't get me started on education. (laughs) You will learn your ABCs. You will learn your one, two, threes. You will get good grades. You will do your homework and you will go to college and get an education because you were going to take care of me when I get old. So let me just tell you, that's going to happen in my life. But then we're going to sit and say, after all of that, well, I just don't believe in influencing my child. I would say that's stupid right now, but I don't want to, imp- I don't want to, to, to make anybody mad at me right now, but that's stupid. <laughs> I, I, I just, it does not rationally compute in my brain that someone, folks, listen to me. We're talking about heaven and we're talking about hell. We're talking about Eternity. And we're gonna say, I'm not gonna influence my kid, but I'm gonna let them to go into this humanistic world and I'm gonna allow them to go to a college campus where atheist professors are gonna be telling them their opinions about everything and I'm gonna tell them just to choose whatever they want knowing that that path will lead them to hell and separation from God from all of eternity. No, that's just sheer laziness. Or not knowing better. If you don't know better, Oak Ridge Baptist Church exists to help you on the journey so you do know better how to establish that in your home, male or female. But if you just say, I don't want it, then you're making the choice. My child's on their own. Everything else I'm going to take care of. But when it comes to the most important thing, I'm going to leave it up to them. Let me just tell you, you better put all of God's word in them that you possibly can while you have them at home or you will miss the opportunity to have that kind of influence in in their life when they get older. What am I saying? Your faith must be expressed. It's expressed through spiritual education at home and we express it through personal example. Look what he says there in verse 14, 2 Timothy 3. You, however, continue in the things you have learned. Continue in the things that you have become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. I want to say to every parent here this morning, to every grandparent, I'm both. Every aunt and uncle, every big brother and sister, every neighborhood mom, that is out there. Faith most often is caught, not taught. I believe in spiritual education. I wouldn't have put that point in there if I didn't. But if you're not living your faith in front of your child, then don't expect them to have a faith. See, kids learn by watching. They learn by listening. They learn by observing. We don't sit down with a grammar book when they're a year trying to learn to talk. We just talk. And they begin to formulate and conjugate and learn past, present, and future. Not sure participles, I never got that down, but they learn a lot of that stuff. How? By just listening to you, by watching you, by observing what you're doing In your life, do you remember much about Hebrews chapter eleven? Some of you will. Uh, We call this the the uh, the Old Testament kind of Hall of Fame. Uh, This is the this is the chapter that's full of the goats, right? Not the bad goats, but the greatest of all time goats, right? Um, Why are these people in the Hall of Fame? It wasn't because of their money. It wasn't because of their fame. It wasn't because of the job they had. They're in this hall of fame, greatest of all time, because of their demonstrated expressions of faith. I'm gonna read some snippets from Hebrews chapter 11. And every time that you see the word by faith, it's going to be bolded in the scriptures. Every time that you see by faith, I want you to say by faith. You think you can do that? When it comes up, it's going to be bolded. And everybody, let's try it. Say it right now. By faith. Okay, I want you to read that with me. Just those two words, I'll read the rest. I'm not going to share that much with you, but just read this. Look at verse four. What's the first words? Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Verse 7. Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Verse 8. Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where, it was, where he was going. Verse 11. Sarah herself received ability to conceive. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Isaac Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. As he was dying, Jacob blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. They passed through the Red Sea as though they were pressing through dry land And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned and the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Okay, what did y'all notice in those passages of scripture? I noticed something different. I noticed that there was always action associated with faith. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Noah prepared. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Sarah received. By faith, Abraham offered. By faith, Isaac blessed. By faith, Jacob blessed. By faith, Joseph made mention of the exodus. By faith, Moses refused. By faith, he left. By faith, he kept. By faith, they passed. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. So, we talked about Hebrews 9 27. It's pointed a man wants to die, and after this is the judgment. When your family is rehashing your life in your eulogy, What list of goats are you gonna be on? I'm gonna be, you know, maybe you're here today and you'll say, well, I'm gonna be on the list of goats that always took time to play PS5 with my kids. I'm gonna be on the list of goats that always took my kids on great family vacations. I'm gonna be on the list of goats that Man, I taught my kid that backdoor slider and man, he got a college education as a result of it. I'm gonna be that on the list of goats that I always made my kids a favorite dessert and I always fixed the bobos when they happened. Nothing wrong with the being on that list, but that should be the subheading to first and foremost, being the parent in that home that had sincere faith, that lived by sincere faith, and that expressed sincere faith so that you gave your child every example, every opportunity, every possible moment to be able to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and serve him all the days of their life. Now, we talked about this morning that it's a faith for mothers and children others, which fits everybody in here this morning. So, so if you've never, if you've never been on that journey of faith or don't know how to establish that, or, or you're struggling with moving to those next steps, that's why Oak Ridge Baptist Church exists. That's why this last song that we're about to sing together, this time of worship that we're about to share together is for. The scripture tells us we don't come to hear the Bible preach, to just be hearers of the word. We come to be doers of the word, which means last week we talked about the sovereignty of God, his all knowing everything about it. God knew every single person that would be here this morning before he chose the message that he would have me share today which means if God is speaking to you this morning about something that you can either just be a hearer of the word or you can be a doer. And if there's anything I can help you with on that journey of being a doer, I'm gonna be right down here as we're singing and I would be happy to help you on that journey. If that's uncomfortable for you, um, at the end of our service, we're gonna have some family members right over here that have a sign that says, how may I help you? And they would be happy to be on the journey with you for whatever that next step is. But we just don't want want to just listen today. We want to be mindful that God put us here today because there's something he wanted to speak to us. So I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. When I say amen, we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to worship. And then you just have to do what God asks you to do. Father, we love you and we thank you for these opportunities. Uh, We thank you for the example that we've seen today. in Lois and Eunice and Timothy's life. And I pray that that will be an example of each and every one of our homes. Uh, If not, Lord, we pray that we'll have the courage uh, to not listen to Satan. And we know he wants to steal, kill, and to destroy and to deceive us from stepping out with what you're asking us to do today. And I pray that we'll not listen to him, but listen to you, the one that came, that we might have life and have it abundantly. It's in the name of that life, Jesus Christ, that we pray, amen.